one of our awesome young fellas in the house. I'll get you to stand to your feet and invite up Joel Narayan. Thanks, Joel. Awesome. You may grab your seats. Usually I make you stand up, but we're going to sit down today. We're going to get right into it. Uh, why don't we? Why don't we pray, dear God? We thank you today, Lord God, for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace, Lord Father, that you are already at work in the hearts of people today, Lord Father. Your Holy Spirit is here. And Father, I pray today as I speak your word, Lord Father, I'd speak your word, speak what you want me to speak and not my own words because that would be foolishness. But today, Lord God, that your knowledge and your wisdom that surpasses all knowledge and human understanding, Lord Father, would be in this place, Lord Father. You touch hearts, your gospel would stand true and speak true to people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good. So today we're going to go through, um, we're not starting Samson yet, today is, um, we're going to speak on Colossians. Um, so this is, a, this is the epistle to the Colossians. This is Paul's letter um, to Colossae, the, the Colossian people. And this is a book that I've read verses from before, but haven't read it in its entirety. And, it's, and I was just, this week I was just transformed by the, the beauty of this letter. Um, and I encourage you, I can't cover it all in one sermon, but I encourage you this week or whenever you get a chance to read through Colossians. Um, and it's incredible to read through what the text was originally, uh, what it originally was in the fact that it was a letter without the chapters and the verses you read through that this is Paul's crying out to a church. And, and Paul actually didn't, unlike the Corinthians and all that, he didn't start this church, Apostle Paul. He had an apostolic gift on his life to go into the Corinthians, to Ephesus and start churches. He didn't start this one. It actually, uh, it spurred out of him going to Ephesus, which was about 100 miles from Colossae. And he was starting a church and a ministry there. And a guy called um, Apophras, he was inspired by Paul's ministry. He got a hold of the gospel and he took it to his hometown of Colossae. And he started um, a church there. And, and it's an incredible letter because Epaphras, he then comes back to Paul, who's in prison. He visits Paul and he says, look, we've got these believers there. They've got hold of the gospel. Um, but he was so concerned because he, he saw some false teaching and some heresy starting to creep into the church. So dangerous. And he was so concerned. Um, and I just want to explain to you a little bit about Colossae. And I have a map up there. And uh, Colossae was sort of, it was along a, a, a major trade route. So between Rome and Arabia and Jerusalem and stuff, it was right in the middle. Um, and a lot of people used to go through there because it was a, it was a cosmopolitan, uh, cosmopolitan city. It was, a, it was a business trade area. And what that resulted in and why this is important, I'm not just showing you maps and this isn't geography, but why that is important is because that means a lot of people traveled through there, which means a lot of people, different people resided in there which is what meant that there was people of different cultures, it was very multicultural, people of different religions, different beliefs were there. And it's really important. And reading this letter, I'm really thinking like, although this was in like 60 AD, I really believe not only was this a letter for, the, for Colossae in 60 AD, it's a message to our church today in 2019, and especially in somewhere like Western Sydney, where we are, to the church. And it was, it was, and because we're under the societal pressures, even in recent times in the media, we're in the societal pressures to conform our beliefs to the beliefs of our society or the beliefs of other religions. And that's sort of what the, this uh, message is about. And we as Christians need to be, make sure we are fully aware of what we believe. We need to full, be fully aware because often our behavior and how we live catches up to how we believe. 
Like very often, Jesus himself said, whatever is hidden, right, will be brought to light. In Proverbs, it says, whatever a man thinks, that's who he will be. So it's so, so important that we know what we believe. In Colossians 1, um, when Paul opens this letter, he's greeting the Corinthians and he says to them uh, in verse 9 to 10, it says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about you guys, we've never stopped praying for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all his wisdom and spiritual understanding. It was very important he, that Paul opens this letter and he encourages them and says, I've heard what you guys have got of the gospel. I'm praying that you may be filled with God's wisdom and God's knowledge and with spiritual understanding. And the, the issue is sometimes we have knowledge of Jesus, but we don't have spiritual understanding and God's wisdom to do his will. And the reason we do, we do this, think about the behavior and belief. It says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. First, we must be filled with His knowledge and the knowledge of His will and have spiritual understanding. And in verse 19 of chapter 1 in Colossians, Paul uses imagery of, of a full portrait of a, of, a, of a person, of a body. And what he says, he says, Christ is the head. He says, Christ is the head and the church, we are His body. And the issue is, is when we start to gain our understanding and wisdom from outside of our head, the body doesn't function properly. It's the head that our body must go to in order to move, get functionality, to get movement, to get any sort of fruitfulness. And, and the issue was they weren't going to that and almost labeled this, and the Colossians were, were struggling with this, almost labeled my sermon, Headless Chickens. And, and I almost had the tempt to put Headless Christians because... And I'm like, that, that could get, that's not a good way to put this, right? It's, it's pretty bad. But Paul uses this imagery because it's so important. The Colossian church began believing and wisdoms and they weren't in alignment with the truth of Christ. They didn't have their heads screwed on tight enough. In Colossians 2 verse 8 to 10, Paul addresses what was happening and he warns them. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the, law, of the world and not in accordance to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete, not by taking on traditions and principles of this world, you're complete in Him who is the head of all principality and all power. And Paul directly addresses this issue. It's, and, and the scary thing about what was happening in this church is, is because he, there was false teaching, right? And the scary thing about this false teaching, they weren't necessarily denying Christ. They weren't getting rid of the, the gospel completely. What they were doing was, is they were doing a thing called syncretism. And, and syncretism is the mixing of beliefs. That means that instead of having uh, Christianity, the gospel, what they did, they took from, they took ideas, ideologies, some practices from different belief systems around them and mixed them together. And this is the danger um, that Paul is presenting here because in Colossae, there was astrologists. This was a place of multicultural, right? Just like where we are. There's astrologists, there's the Greek and Roman um, pantheon, the people that believe in different gods, the God of sex, the God of money, the God of the sun. There was Judaism, and there was the, the New Age sort of people that, you know, Mother Nature, dude, you know those guys? There was, there was all sorts of people in Colossae. And then there was the believers in Jesus. And in chapter 2, six, 
uh, 16 to 23 of Colossians, Paul addresses some of these specifically just to give you an idea of what was happening. He says, uh, it, you can read it for yourself, but he talks about how believers were being judged for the way they ate and drank. Like, do not taste this, do not touch that. Talking about the festivals and the Sabbath, many of these things which Jesus addressed in his own ministry. When, when they, Jesus' disciples were criticized for not fasting, he says, the, the, the groom is here. We're going to celebrate. It's a time of feasting. When, when they did miracles on the Sabbath, Jesus says, you know what? Is it bad to do God's will on the Sabbath? And, and the law, it's not that God came to abolish the law, but Christ was the fulfillment of it. So what G, uh, and then the Judaism influence was coming in. There was another sort of sect that was into the whole, um, it was called as- ascetic, which is basically, it's like a false humility. People would abstain and people would, um, they would, they would find themselves righteous because they were doing holy things. They were abstaining from certain foods, maybe they were abstaining from certain practices just so they could be holy. And what this looks like to us, that looks like someone just trying to be a good person, right? Like, oh, good on them. They're being spiritual and stuff. But at the, at the core of it, what Paul calls it is false humility, he says it's false. Why? Because in an attempt to, to make themselves righteous, they're actually taking a prideful position. <laughs> Called it a false humility. And then one of the other sects, they were encouraging the worship of angels. They were saying, you know, and, and this is scary because God is in heaven. Jesus is our intermediary through the gospel. That's we Jesus' work was a complete work. But now they're saying that we have to worship angels. And they were sort of, and, and this is maybe similar to what's, of what of some of Catholicism preachers in the saints and the, and the angels do. There's something in between you and God when that's what Jesus came to abolish. And this is absolutely heresy. All these things are heresy. And why is this heresy? Why is it so dangerous? Why is it so important that, that Paul had to address this to a church that he's never been to? Why was he speaking this love with truth? Why was he doing it to them? Because at the core of it is, all of these things are either adding or they're subtracting the work that Jesus did for us. At the core of it, what they're doing is they're either adding or they're taking away the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's what qualifies us to partake in the kingdom of God. It's almost, some of that is almost recreating. When you worship angels, you're recreating that separation between man and God. Something that Jesus worked so hard and, and suffered so much to do, yet we sometimes try to work for our salvation. It voids the actual message of the free gift of the gospel. And there's this idea, and I know Pastor Tim's preached on this a little bit before, I said the word syncretism, which is like the mixing of beliefs. And there's an idea out there called pluralism, and plural meaning more than one, so more than one or two or three or four religions existing at the same time, coexisting. And in its genuine form, this is okay. Christians believe that people can believe it. We're not going to force Jesus or Christianity into anyone. But the danger with what our society is doing today is they're saying you have to change what you believe in order to coexist. And that's syncretism. That's changing what we believe to suit other people. And that's dangerous. And we as a church in 2019, just like the church in Colossae, we need to be so careful in our attempt to unite and to harmonize different ideologies in our society. And in an attempt to lovingly understand people, we don't compromise on the gospel. We don't change the message of Christ risen, Christ's death and resurrection. Because we live in a culture where everyone's truth is their truth. 
It's called relativity. Like it's, it's my truth. So let's just say Jerome feels something and that's his truth. He believes in something. Society says Jerome's true no matter what because he thinks it's true. But if I say something contradictory, I'm also true. There's no objective truth, which is just crazy. And when it comes to worldly things like mathematics, what's two plus two? Four. But let's just say Danny says eight. Is Danny right? No, because four is truth. But in our society, apparently if he says eight, he's, he's ha- is it right to say eight because that's his truth? It's pretty scary, right? He changed it to nine. <laughs> and it's in a, we're living literally in a world, and there's videos on this university students getting interviewed, where I could go and identify myself as a four foot eight Scandinavian blonde girl, and that would be okay. Because that's my truth. That's what I believe. But the, the theme of this, of this message, and I hope you catch it, it's in the background that Jesus is the way, and he's the truth, and he's the life. We're complete in Christ. He is the truth. Jesus didn't just teach truth. He is the truth. We can't get, and we see this in our modern day society, like you don't become pure outside of God, whether you're vegetarian, vegan, and some of these are healthy practices. People are trying to be self-pious, in love with the environment and God's creation. We look after it. But when, we, when that becomes our God, it's very, very, very scary. It's almost like what the Romans did. They have a God for everything. And all of a, all of a sudden, Jesus becomes another deity that they worship and go to when it's convenient. But what Paul does, he doesn't go through these, he doesn't go through these heresies and list them one by one like, all right, they said angels, so this is my defense for angels. This is the food, so I'm going to go through all the laws. He doesn't do that. What he does at the start in chapter one, he presents the truth. Because the thing with, the thing with society, and this is a, a, maybe a great tip for us Christians, if we know the truth, we know when a lie comes. And, and sometimes the scary thing about conspiracy theories and looking into all those things, if you study the lie, that's great, but lies keep changing. People just make up new lies. But when you study the truth, you know when the lie comes. When you're so centered on Christ, anything that doesn't fit in with Christ, you know it's wrong and you don't even go there. So Paul rebukes the heresy and, and he reinforces the preeminence of Jesus. What is preeminence? It means um, him being supreme, him being superior above all. In Colossians 1, 15 to 17, incredible passage. It says, he is the image, speaking of Jesus, of the invisible God, not made in his likeness. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And firstborn here in the Greek speaks of his superiority and preeminence over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things, beautiful, I, even in the announcements today about God being creative, all things were created through Him and for Him. This is Christ. And He is before all things and in all things, in all things consist. So the, the issue here that Paul tells them is, if everything is created by God, and he rules over all creation. He is literally all we need. Christ is all we need. And the problem with heresy of this time and today is that not that they deny Christ. You would be surprised at how many religions and how many people actually believe Jesus existed because it's historical fact. Jesus actually existed. They don't deny Christ, but they deny his preeminence. He, they deny his superiority. 
And they, they, they don't believe in his divinity. They don't believe him to be the true God, the creator of heavens and earth. And going through the major world religions, I had a conversation with um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago in the middle of Liverpool at some traffic lights. I had a 20 minute conversation with two Mormon guys about, about my, as they were sort of running away from me through these parks. So I caught up to them at the lights and, they, and they, um, we spoke and, and, and they believe Mormonism. They're like, oh, the first thing they said is like, oh, are you religious? And I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a tricky question, right? Are you religious? Um, and, and then we went through, yeah, I'm a Christian, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we've got Christ in our name. And it's very deceptive. They believe that Christ and us, we were all existing before time, that we're all created beings. God the Father, God, they're all created beings. And that all of us one day, if we do the right thing, we become a God ourselves. And they've got Jesus in their name. Islam, same thing. They believe, not same thing, but similar. They believe in Jesus. They believe he was a prophet. They believe he was born of a virgin. Yet they just say he was not divine. He was not the son of God. They believe in Jesus. So many other religions. Hinduism is just another God among many others. Judaism, he wasn't the Messiah. People believe in Jesus, but what the culture of this world tried to do, they tried to dethrone Jesus as king. They try to dethrone his power and his authority. They dethrone him from being creator. All these heresies and all these rules, we just try to promote a self-sufficiency, adding regulations to become more holy. And this is the issue with religion itself. And I just mentioned before, am I religious? Because religion is a very scary concept sometimes, especially when you compare it to all the others. And the problem sometimes with Christianity is we get stuck with religion. And we get boxed into this idea of religion. And that's why all these beliefs is like, oh, we all, oh, if we all live merrily together and we take on other people's beliefs, we're just going to be a nice religion. But that's not what Christ came to do. Christ didn't say, hey, I'm come down to create a new religion. He didn't say that. Because religion is, it, it sort of, it regulates behavior. And as I said before, Jesus came so we would have faith in him, we'd have belief. And that through that faith and belief, we would be transformed, not the other way around. And all other religions, what they do is they say, you have to become holy. You have to become righteous. You have to do as, as good as you can as a person, and then you will make it. But Jesus does the complete opposite, and he comes down and gifts us that salvation. and says, take on my body, and you will be a new creation. It's completely free. We can't do it ourselves. And the issue is it regulates our behavior in order for us for work, to work our way into salvation. And Jesus just says, follow. The message of the gospel, it's not always easy. Following Christ isn't always easy, but it's so simple. It's so simple. Jesus came. You notice Jesus' ministry was around the widows, the illiterate, the blind, the poor. He didn't come to set all these rules. He came for a simple message, and that was hope in, the, in, the, in Jesus. And Paul reminds us, Paul, remember, Paul isn't speaking to a bunch of unbelievers. He's speaking to Christians about the gospel. And it's so dangerous as Christians, we can't become familiar with the gospel. We can't make it a familiar thing and not have it as a live concept in our lives. We can't just say, oh, I've heard that before. That's just Jesus dying and rising again. That's our everything. That's what we believe. That's literally what we believe and that's why we live. We believe that all we need is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is where our sins were buried with Jesus, wiping out our past. The power of His resurrection changes us, and we are raised from old life into a new life. 
I love it. Jesus, when he goes to Matthew, you know, Matthew in the Bible, one of his first disciples, he goes to him and he says, Levi, what does he say to Levi? Anyone, can someone tell me? Just simple, paraphrase it. To any of his disciples, what does he say? He says, follow me. He says, drop everything and follow me. Notice he didn't say, all right, Levi, you're at this tax collector booth. Here's a contract. Here's the terms and conditions. Here's the checklist. If you've done, here's the prerequisite of what you need to do to, to follow me. He didn't set a contract. He didn't say these are the, Christianity isn't regulations. It isn't rules. It isn't a contract by any means. It's not cross on the dot. This world that we live in is based on contracts. You follow this and then you'll be able to receive this. Contract. And you see it in the media. One is one of the biggest news stories at the moment. Contract. Contract. But guess what Jesus brought? Uh, Jesus brought. He says, as, as Pastor Tim mentioned before, this, is, this might be prophetic because he's mentioned that this is me pouring out my cup for a new covenant. There's a new covenant in my blood. And us as Christians, we have to realize there is an incredible difference in what separates us from this world if we do not believe in contract terms and conditions. We believe in covenant of Jesus' blood. By, By His blood we are saved. That it is an unconditional love that He brings to us. Not based on whether we can eat the right foods, do the right things, do this, put a tattoo here, put an eat that, drink. No! Jesus didn't come to set a religion. He says, follow me, Christ. Christ is enough. He makes up for our wrongs. Jesus is the new covenant. If you're looking for a religion, you might have come to the wrong place. Because all I want you to show you is Jesus. Christ was enough, is enough. He is the way. He's the truth. He is the way. They're the wrong way around, but they mean the same thing. (laughs) And, and here, I, I, this thought came to me last night. The more you try to behave yourself into Christianity, the further away you find yourself from Jesus. Another way to put that is the harder we try to get closer to God or to heaven, the more we deny what Jesus did for us. The more we endeavor and work at God, I'm good enough, God, I'm this, we deny what Jesus had already did. Christ says, I've died for you. He said, wait, God, but I'm trying to do it for myself. We must receive and submit our whole lives, money, children, jobs, relationships to Christ. And, and Paul goes through a really practical passage here in Colossians 3. And I encourage you to read this letter. It's incredible. It, it, it talks about how we should live lives. It's amazing. It says in Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4, it says, If you were then, we're going to spend the rest of our time here. If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ God, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, the way, the truth, the life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is all we need. When we live our lives in, in, I think it's in Philippians, correct me if I'm wrong, but he says, uh, Paul talks about um, being citizens of heaven. What Jesus is saying here, everything in your old life is gone everything you've done, your shame, your past, your sins, 
Whatever you've done in your old life, that is dead when you've come to Christ. That, is, that died with Jesus. And we're bringing into, you into a new life. And what that new life means is that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we keep our eyes on God on the throne, who already has the victory, we live a life that is pleasing to God. In, we must live with an eternal mindset. We must live our life focused on the way. It's, it's beautiful because if you look in the book of Acts in chapter 9 and onwards, that never are the Christians really referred to Christians. You know what they're referred to? The followers of the way. Because Jesus never came here to, to set systems in place. He didn't, he didn't come to set religion rules on people. He says, just follow me. I am the way. I, just follow me. If you're following me and you're following me, the, me, true Jesus, on the throne, you can't go wrong. There's, there's no, if you just set your eyes on me on the throne, set your things on eyes above. And the issue is we, get, we set our eyes on things around us. We set our eyes on our career. We set our eyes on, oh, I hope my children are going to be okay. Set our eyes on family. Set our eyes on money. Set our eyes in the world. We set our eyes on sex. We set our eyes on so many different things. And then we laugh when we hear about the Romans and the Greeks having all these different gods. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, they believe, they, you know, they worship the sun. Like, oh, it's such a beautiful today. Today, how good's Mother Nature? You know, just things that creep into our culture, this syncretism that we've started to take away. Living life with eternity in mind becomes less about what happens on earth, but more about the will of God. In Colossians 3, 5, it says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. So put to death your old self and every, anything that was with you on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil design, covetousness, which is adultery. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are put off to all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. When we came to Christ, these things were put to death. These things died with Christ. So when we follow Christ, we die to our sins. In Colossians 3, 9, it says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Listen to this in verse 10. It says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor three, but Christ. Everyone say, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. He is the complete. What, how would your marriage change if you've always fixed your eyes on Jesus? If everything you did was filtered through the mindset of Jesus, how would your marriage change? That if there's disagreements or, you know, are we going to put this money towards that? If, if you just set your eyes on God and, and how God would... How, how would your marriage change? How would your relationship with your kids change? How would your workplace change? How would your relationship with your boss change if we had an eternal mindset? And, and Paul, is, this is towards the end of his thing. He's summarizing. He's giving them practical tips. He says this is as practical as it gets, focusing on Christ and living your life out like that. Because as soon as we put God as a Sunday thing or God as another deity alongside all our money, drugs, jobs, whatever. Drugs probably not here, but... You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Joking. Um, but but, um, but all, the, all these things, if we, don't put, if we put Christ as another, we need to put Christ supreme and on top. And the beautiful thing about the gospel and the power of Jesus and the paradox of the gospel is that God is transcendent, but he's also imminent. 
So God is with us, but he's also on the throne above us, his authority. And what does it say in Colossians 3.12? It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, and I'm finishing up, be holy and beloved, put on. This is what God's saying to put on. So your old life is gone. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Why are these things important? Joel, you said there's no rules. What is this? What are these, what are these principles that you're talking about? This is just Paul describing who Jesus was. It goes on further. It says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you. What are we doing? We're, we're, what we're doing is we're technically, without having the physical sign, we're having those what would Jesus do bracelets. You know what I mean? When you live in an eternal, eternal mindset, you're like, what would Jesus do in this situation? I forgive because Christ forgave me. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. When we live with an eternal mindset, things begin to change. When we put our eyes on the Father who's on the throne, our lives will be transformed. And Paul finishes this letter with something even more practical, believe it or not, even something more practical. He goes through a passage, I'm not going to read it, but he talks about how Christians should live with people around them. He goes into all their circles of influences in, in Colossians chapter 3. You've probably read it before. It talks about husbands, uh, wives submitting to husbands, husbands treating their wife with respect. It talks about children and parents, masters and slaves. And what he does was he breaks down in their time, the Roman household is very patriarch, right? It was very, the, the, the men were authoritative. But Jesus breaks that down and he essentially puts Christ as the head. Read it for yourself. I, I can't go into it, but this is how he sums up that section. He says this, Colossians 3.23, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Following Jesus looks like this. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, that's, I'm going to look to Christ for all those things. And through the love of Christ, through me submitting my whole life to Christ, I'm going to put on that new man and I'm just going to live as Christ did. I'm not going to be subject to what I, what I eat, what I taste, what festivals, the sab- I'm just going to put my eyes on Jesus Christ. And to sum it up, in John 14, 6, Jesus answers, I am the way. He's the only way unto salvation. He's the only way that we can be saved. I am the truth, absolute truth, objective truth. He is truth. And He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. That is the beauty of the gospel. And my prayer for our church, for, as Paul did for the Colossians, he prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That we would be filled and our eyes would not be fixed on the things necessarily around us, but first our eyes would be fixed on submission to Christ as the head. He sacrificed himself for us. Our old selves have died and our new lives have come and we've just been called what? Not to subscribe, not on the dotted line after you read the terms and conditions, but to follow Jesus Christ the way the truth, and the life. How beautiful is that? Why don't we close our eyes? Lord God, I thank you today. Lord Father, that, Lord Father, that we would never forget the beauty of your gospel. Lord Father, that you are supreme. You are preeminent, Lord God. No one, no one can, no one can surpass your glory, Lord God. You are creator. All things were created in you, by you, for you. You were there at the beginning. And Lord, Father, we know that your sacrifice is enough. 
that your pure sacrifice is enough. Your covenant that is here today, you did not forget about us. You loved us so much that you came down into the body of a man and you died for us. You took on suffering. You took on torture. And you, and you offered us this free gift of salvation, something we didn't have to work for. And God, I actually, I don't know why we try to do it ourselves. I don't know why I try to do it myself. I don't know why we try to be good people or behave our way into, into your kingdom. But Lord, today I pray that as a church, we would be connected to the head. We wouldn't look to ourselves or other things to satisfy us, Lord God. We would just be connected to the head and we'd look to you for direction and wisdom. We would submit fully to you, Lord God. Lord Father, I pray today, Lord God, as, as we open up the, the altar, if anyone here believes that they, that they haven't put Christ first, maybe they haven't been living with an eternal mindset, they haven't had Christ at the center of their life, or maybe they once had and they've lost that like the Corinthians, as the Colossians, sorry, that we would pray for them, we'd stand with them. And, and guys, I invite you today, if you, if you want to receive Jesus as Lord, you want to have him as first in your life, or you want to just pray that he would impact and influence the parts of your life, that we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and that all things we've added, we'll pray for you at the front. And I pray that there is someone here today that, there is definitely someone here today that hasn't put Christ first and has, and has been got caught up in this mess. And, and I pray that as you come to the front, we'll pray with you, we'll stand with you. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.